This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yo, what's up, guys? You like our podcast? You want to make your own? You have all the power, all the resources you need to make your own podcast. That's right. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you a rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish video podcasts to Spotify, which is super important. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. That's right. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That is anchor.fm to get started. It's what we use. We get a little kickback from it and we appreciate it. So if you guys want your own podcast, go to Anchor. .fm to get started. Peace. Hello and welcome to the Anatomy of Marriage podcast. I am your host, Melanie Studley. What's up, my friends? My name is Seth Studley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Thank you for joining us today for episode number nine of season one called Identity. Am no. I really like that? Well, no. we're talking about identity. About identity yeah. called Am I Really Like That? Um, if you're new here, welcome. We have over 300 episodes about all things marriage and relationship related because we are creating the resources that we wish we had had when mm-hmm. we were going through the hardest times of our marriage. So right. we're glad that you're here. And today's episode is brought to you by... Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash anatomy marriage to support our show. A dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. Whatever you want, every single bit helps, and it's cool because you actually get to support what you like. Mm-hmm. It goes straight to us. We uh, create more resources, and it helps us out. So, go And thank there. you to all of our current patrons. Yes, thank you very much. All right, so like Seth said, this show is all about identity, and we don't want to blab anymore, so let's dive into the episode. All right. Enjoy. Today, we're talking all about identity. And immediately after beginning this episode, I realized that I had bitten off way more than I can chew. But that's never stopped me before. So I'm just going to charge into this episode and share the insights that I have learned and hope that it's helpful to somebody. And if you're wondering why on earth we chose identity for one of the episodes of a marriage podcast, it's because of this crazy idea that I had literally never thought of until I sat down with Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott. If you're consumed with yourself for reasons of insecurity, uh, that's as, you know, as narcissistic mm-hmm. as being consumed with yourself because you're thinking you're all that. So mm-hmm. you have to have the capacity to just be accurately assessing who you are, your gifts, your mm-hmm. quirks, your flaws, and aware of all of it, the whole package, mm-hmm. and then set it aside so you can be consumed with another person. In that clip, which is a mere 27 seconds long, Leslie Parrott says five little words that stuck out in my mind. Accurately assessing who you are. But how many of us can actually do that? Can anyone accurately assess who they are? I mean, I almost feel like we can't. And here's why. So remember in last week's episode how we talked about communication being like a knot in really, really long hair? Well, identity is absolutely the same. Identity is not just what we think we are. It's also what we are told that we are. 
And somewhere in between the thinking and the telling, our lines get crossed up, and we don't know if the thing we think we are is actually the thing we thought about ourselves, or just something someone else told us about ourselves. Do you know what I mean? So in my particular story, I am the baby of five kids. And as a kid, if I did something bratty, it was inevitable that some adult would say, oh, it's because Melanie's the baby. And in a way, they would reinforce my behavior by not punishing me the same way that they would punish the firstborn child because I'm the baby. And so while I may not have identified as the baby, I was treated as the baby by other people who identified me as such. I mean, it's super weird, but there's no doubt in my mind that having the but she's the baby excuse actually reinforced a cycle of me acting different in certain situations. So then in a way, I actually became the baby. And as stupid as it sounds, when Seth and I first got married, my identity of being the baby reared its ugly head in a way that neither one of us expected. And it was something that we really actually had to deal with. You know, I was the youngest kid of five kids. So I was like essentially free to do what I wanted. Here's me and Seth in the car again. I didn't have a ton of rules as a kid. And like that has a good side where I could go, oh, look at all these things I'm interested in and I'm whatever. But conversely, a really bad side where you think the world owes you something. You're the youngest, you're the baby. Where's my Christmas present? Where's my birthday present on my brother's birthday? Right? Like... So you felt entitled to a lot of things? Yeah. Like, I wanted... I grew up thinking, like, yeah, I'm the baby. Everybody look at me. Like, why aren't... Seth, why aren't you looking at me? Like, this... It's not so much you thought... Yeah, it wasn't that I was intentionally thinking it. It wasn't a conscious thought. That was just... That was your paradigm. That is how you viewed the world. It was exactly how I viewed the world. And the reason it made such an impact on our marriage was that my identity of being the most important person on the planet did not fly with Seth. And when he confessed to looking at pornography and lying to me, it did two things. The first thing was that it exposed a terrible truth about myself. And that truth was that I am, in fact, just a normal human being. People can lie to me. They do lie to me. And secondly, it proved that my identity of being a baby was no longer appropriate as a wife. A huge part of you, yeah, your ego was being attacked. Yeah, and, but it's like, it was a good, is a good thing. Well, you didn't think so. In retrospect, it's a good thing because yeah. it's changing you, but you obviously were fighting tooth and nail to uh, keep your homeostasis, to, you know, to keep your world like it was. That's what you were, your ego didn't want to die. Yeah, and that's, I think, so essentially it's like I'm battling this big identity crisis at the same time my marriage is falling apart, at the same time I have two tiny kids. So I think that for me is why I think it felt so bad, you know, or so intense or crazy or whatever. So my childhood identity of being a spoiled little brat snuck into my marriage and threw a big fat temper tantrum. But identity is so different for every person. So in this next story, I'm going to bring back an old friend, my old friend, Nicole and her husband, Charlie, who you'll remember from episodes number two and episodes number six, where they talked about music in church and then the expectation to have kids. But in this episode, they're talking about a struggle that started way back when Nicole was growing up. I think that like for most of my life, like I've always had responsibilities and couldn't really do me, like, do my own thing. Um, so college came, and I was still, like, I was still at home. Like, I didn't, like, I was living at home in community in Pew Dub, and, um... She really wanted to be on campus. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted, like, that. like, 
I wanted to experience that. I wanted to not be responsible, I think. Like, I wanted to go be crazy and have fun, um, and I never did. Nicole grew up with a wonderful and loving family. She is the oldest of four kids and was, of course, treated like the oldest. She was expected to help with her younger siblings, to do good in school, and to be a good role model. But eventually that cycle of expecting her to act a certain way and then rewarding her when she did snuck its way into her identity and became an external expectation as well as an internal rule that Nicole feels made her miss out on certain things in life. I've never had a chance to really be on my own and figure out who I am in the context of like, like not in the context of being a wife or being a daughter or like, like I was ever able to just find myself. And so I think maybe that's what was playing into me not wanting to get married. Nicole shared that she has memories all the way back to first grade of never wanting to get married and never wanting to have kids. But then Charlie came along. He asked Nicole out and she said no. He asked her out again and she said no. And over the span of four months, he asked her out six different times before she finally said yes. It was really weird because I definitely wanted to marry her. Like, <laughs> I bought a ring. Mm hmm six months into our relationship. I want to say November. Mm -hmm. November. I carried it around with me a good bit. Not always, because I knew it wasn't going to be for a while, but yeah. there was definitely times where I had it and I wanted to, and then I just didn't. Something about Nicole and Charlie's story stands out to me as being identity-driven. And maybe it doesn't feel like that to you, but to me it seems like Nicole's life and responsibilities have always felt really heavy to her. But I also think that she's been taking the expectations of others and holding so tightly to them that if she falters even a little bit, she might feel like a failure. And I mean, I am totally guessing here, but when I contrast Nicole's life to my own, I can see where I've had people speaking into my own life telling me what I should and shouldn't do, but I didn't hold on to their ideas tightly enough to feel responsible for them. So they didn't shape me the way that they shaped Nicole. Does that make sense? But the worst part of this whole story to me is that Nicole doesn't seem to be out of this space in her life. And I say the worst part because she's my friend, whom I love dearly. And it's hard to see someone that you love struggling. What do you feel like you missed? <clears throat> um, I feel like I missed... I don't know. Like I feel like I missed being young. Right? Like... Life experiences, partying. Yeah. Well, like, like I feel like that's, I don't know, not part of growing up, but, like, that's part of getting to be a college student and getting to be in your early 20s. Um, I hung out with a good crowd throughout high school, so we didn't do that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I feel like I missed. I, I think it, I get restless when I think about it, mm -hmm. I guess. But I don't know what it is that I feel like I'm missing besides being that, maybe it's being that carefree, like not having that weight. The thing that, that strikes me the most that I've realized in this process is like, here's me, Seth, and Matt again. The way that I've understood myself for so many years really affected the way that I interacted in our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking about like things like, 
uh, how does personal identity impact you personally, but more importantly, how does it impact your relationships? What do you mm-hmm. think as a therapist? Well, think, think about it this way, like personal identity, ego, all this stuff. When you get married, it's like, okay, I am this person. I'm married to this person. We expect them to change or whatever. And think about like um, if you were a block of gold and I was a block of silver and we're just rubbing against each other all the time, right? You're not going to stop being gold. I'm not going to stop being silver. And there's there's trouble, right? So that can kind of represent like well, I'm not changing. I expect the other person to change and that just doesn't work, right? So earlier I was talking about like, you know, having your ego die is really what it takes to have um, a sacrificial, healthy relationship and then kind of um, let it die and then let it rise out of the ashes together as as a couple. Does that make sense? So are you saying that I can't have a personal identity? I can only have a marital identity? Nope, I'm not saying that. Let the individual independent identity die when you get married, and then both of you can create a shared identity. You know, yeah, you don't, you, you don't do one without, you know, it's not Seth if it's not So Melanie. is it like half individual, half marital? Yes, to put it simply, yes. To put it simply. I don't know if you can tell, but I don't really buy that idea. In fact, I think it's really terrible. Apart from me being a block of gold, I mean, that part's true. But the rest, nah. I will not kill my identity to make a new identity in my marriage. It's not going to happen. But what I can do is examine the parts of my identity that might not be true or that might be really damaged or that might be hurting other people and work on those instead. But I sure as heck am not going to kill anything. I mean, seriously. And again, because identity is such a gigantic topic, I can only speak to what I've experienced in my own life. So let's go back for a second, and I'm going to share something that's embarrassing, but also insightful at the same time. Now, I know that there are some people I went to high school with who listened to this podcast and who knew me like 15 years ago, and that's rad. But I didn't stay friends with anyone from high school. And do you want to know why? Because back in high school, I was a total You heard me right. I was unkind. I was selfish. I was rude to people. I picked on people and I didn't care about anybody but myself. I had absolutely no loyalty except for a handful of my friends. And even then after high school, we completely lost touch. And for a long time, that made me totally sad because I loved my friends. But I had changed so much that the things that my friends were into were no longer the things that I was into. And even worse, the people that I had treated poorly still think I'm a total today. And so I was in such a weird place after high school where I essentially lost all of my childhood friends and then made an entire new set of friends that shared my current values and beliefs. And that's great, right? Well, it's not so great if you see someone that you went to high school with who didn't like you, right? But it's even more awkward if you see someone that you went to high school with and you're with your husband who has only known you in this new and different identity. I mean, you get what I'm saying? And the more that I think about it, the more it feels like the way that I behaved in high school was just a phase a really long phase, if you ask me, but it sort of was, wasn't it? But isn't everything? I mean, even now, I'm a mom with three young kids. This particular time in my life is literally just a phase. The way my children speak to me right now, the way my children respond to me right now, the way I speak and respond to them, this is all a phase. And it will not look the same when they are 18, 21, and 22 years old. So here's me and Dr. Dan Siegel talking about the ways that my identity has changed within my marriage. When I met my husband, I was 19, and now I'm 32. I'm not really very similar. I mean, there's, there's similar things about me, 
but a lot has changed. I mean, this is not a question I was planning on asking you, so forgive me for the like jumbled. <laughs> this, is the, this is the process is the content. This is good. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think about that? Well, I, f first of all, thank you for sharing that. I, I, I think it's a really important reflection you're making, very mindsightful reflection. And, uh, you know, I think the idea is that when we take a pause and think, who am I? It's very natural to think, I am this. And it has a kind of noun-like quality, like it's fixed and it's like, like you're holding a rock in your hand, right? So it's very natural to think that way. But when you look at, uh, even just from a brain point of view, um, how the brain develops throughout the lifespan, from the, even before you're born, the brain is growing and changing, and it grows throughout elementary school and middle school and high school. But then it continues to grow in, in the mid-20s, and it continues to grow throughout the entire lifespan. Now, once you say that, you go, well, what's the relationship between my identity when I say, this is me, Melanie, or this is me, Dan, what's that identity? Then you say, well, it's from your mind. You say, well, okay, well, what, how does the mind relate to the brain? The mind is not the same as the brain, but it uses the neural connections, these synaptic connections and the many ways they change across the lifespan to continually grow and develop and emerge and it's profoundly interconnected with other people and our planet. So we have one side of us that wants to think it's fixed like a rock, but then we have the science reality, which is that we're always growing and changing from the brain point of view, from the mind point of view, from the relationship point of view. And so when you realize that, it can make some people really upset because they want to say, I want to figure it out. I want to know exactly who I am. Well, there are a lot of people who try to live that way, but they shut themselves down. When instead, if you accept that you are constantly in a state of growth and what's called emergence, then you say, yes, of course, I'm 32 now. I'm different than I was when I was 19. Um, you know, even if I sat in a closet for all those years, I'd probably be different. But I'm also having different experiences and experiences shape me. And then how I'm shaped shapes how I interpret those experiences, which then in turn changes the experiences that then change who I am, et cetera, et cetera. So, and our relationships are profoundly a part of how we emerge. We don't just emerge from our brains. We emerge also from our connections with other people. And this is why for me, it's so important. Uh, like for example, this next book I wrote that'll come out soon called Mind. I really try to emphasize the point that the mind emerges, not just from what's up in the head, the brain, but from the entire body, but it's also not limited to the body. It's happening between us, like what's happening between me and you right now or people listening to us. And so when you relax into the emergence of the mind as being fully embodied and fully relational, then it gets actually quite exciting and you can move beyond a belief you may have had before that things are fixed like a rock and say, wow, I'm participating in this ride of my life. How do I optimize this experience rather than how do I lock onto this rock noun-like view of who I am? I mean, I think I've always been aware of my identity uh, 
and, and you may know this. Here's our producer, Matt, again. In the philosophy of identity, I think it's always been interesting. Is it something that you bring and assert, or is it a reflective thing, reflexive thing of what people say about you and how they experience you? And I've always felt a little bit like I know my identity exists in the way other people see me. Right. I've always been aware of that. Mm-hmm. And so I pl- I use that. I mean, I, I'm just aware. If people think I'm fun or funny or whatever, then I'm, I just am that more, right. basically. Right. So when Matt talked about the idea of identity as being something that you either bring and assert yourself or being the way that others experience you, something stuck out to me. And it was this idea that I hadn't quite figured out how to articulate in the moment, but it will make sense in a minute. So just listen to this clip. You know, my mom and dad raised me and I was with my mom the majority of the time. And she had, has, still does, has a very confident like, oh, I, I don't fly on planes while I get sick. I don't like this because it makes me feel bad. I don't do this because X, Y, and Z. So as a child, I learned all of those things and thought that is my identity. I don't travel well. I'm afraid of everything. And right, that's what I learned. That's So that's what I thought my structure and identity was. Mm-hmm. And then when we got married, that was immediately challenged with, you're not from here. We fly back to South Carolina or we drove to meet your family and all these things. And so then I'm immediately faced with this like, well, wait, I'm supposed to not like this, but I like it. I'm supposed to hate hotels, but I enjoy this hotel. What's happening, right? Mm-hmm. So it was this weird like shift of, all the things you have stated that you don't like, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you're enjoying them and you have to square that off. In, your in this clip, there are three very different things trying to be communicated at one time and it took me a while to figure out what they were. The first thing is that I didn't understand that I was actually taking on my mother's identity as my own. Secondly, I was learning through experience that my own identity is very different than my mom's in some aspects like travel and food. And then the third thing is the struggle that ensued once I realized these two things. I felt completely unable to act in a way that honored my identity because for the previous 21 years, I had practiced a form of my mother's identity and really had no clue how to be me. And that caused a lot of confusion and also some unforeseen guilt. In in families, it's it's really hard if you come from a family with a, a fixed mindset. When you break out into that having a growth mindset, you're there's some sense of abandonment, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, you're, you're going to talk to your mom who has a fixed mindset about traveling or this or that or hotels, like, oh, how great it was, you know, we went to Europe and we traveled here and there was, you know, this hotel was awesome. It's, it's you're not going to resonate as much as you used to with your mom, right? And then some, some of that feels like, oh, I'm abandoning it, you know. It mm-hmm. feels really challenged. It's constantly challenged because mm-hmm. then I'll say, oh, I'm so excited. We're going to do this. And she go, oh, that, I would hate mm-hmm. that. And then you're like, oh, should I yeah. hate it too? A good example of, of what do you call it fixed mindset and growth mindset would just be your approach probably to food would be a really good oh, yeah. way to, to to analyze that so are you, there's a lot of people who say i don't like and then they have a list of that yeah mm-hmm. uh, and then there's other people that are interested in trying new foods or even revisiting foods that they thought they didn't like mm-hmm. and seeing if they can add it back now because mm-hmm. you know theoretically and for most people, or for me at least, I taste things a lot different than I did when I was something I didn't like when I was a kid. I thought I didn't like, and mm-hmm. it turns out I do. Maybe mm-hmm. my tastes have changed, my experiences or my frame, or you know, even the taste buds physiologically have changed. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, if you grew up in a place, especially where it was the food, it was of a very fixed mindset, and then you'd start talking about sushi. Oh, right. oh Mr. Oh, yeah. Fancy Pants. What do you got? Oh, yeah. Caviar? And, then, and then you get chastised. Right. So let's learn a little bit more about fixed mindsets and growth mindsets. 
Um, and then when we take the idea that the this notion of a noun-like view and look at some of the research, for example, of Ellen Langer, who studies a thing called mindful learning at Harvard University, or Carol Dweck, who studies a related process, this idea of fixed mindset versus growth mindset at Stanford, you know, what those studies reveal is that when you have a fixed view, it makes learning less enjoyable. That's Ellen Langer's work. When you have a fixed view of who you are, it actually makes it so you're less likely to move forward in life and achieve your potential. You go, whoa, wait, 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 why is that? Well, because if you say, well, I have this amount of intelligence, and then you come up with a challenge that makes it so it's really, really difficult, what research has shown is you tend to back away from further challenges. You don't want anything literally challenging your noun-like view of who you are. But if in contrast to that fixed noun view, which turns into pessimism actually, you have an optimistic growth mindset view, which says, hey, if this challenge is here and it's difficult, I need to put in more effort. Because my view of reality is that people grow and emerge given the challenges they have. So I see this challenge not as a sign of something wrong with me, but as an opportunity to learn more. Good. So the same challenge by a person with a growth mindset that turns to growth in a fixed mindset person turns to despair. And so you can see it's not just even about learning things like uh, knowledge or a skill like playing an instrument or foreign language, but it's also about the very notion that we can change. So people with fixed mindsets they think the self is fixed and anything that affronts their personality is like a, a despairing view of their inadequacies. Whereas the same kind of challenge for a growth mindset, they say, oh, yeah, I don't really think that's a part of my personality I think I want to keep. Let me work on it. You know, it's like completely different. So this, I think, is an incredibly... Uh, what do you think about the idea of like your marriage actually having an identity? That's pretty interesting, I guess. Um, I know, I thought of that. <laughs> good job. Um, your marriage, you know, oh, what are you? Well, well, I think we've talked about before. It's like, oh, yeah, we're the like couple with, with tattoos. We're and so there's cool. Not, and there's like a zillion of those, right? So who cares? But we think it's cool, I guess. So that's some sort of identity. Like, it's probably harder to know what your marital identity is as a unit, but I think it's relatively obvious to other people. So I think me and my wife are completely different but i know most people in the world see us as a package oh they are this way Mm -hmm. but to me i feel like a very much an individual in my marriage with another individual when i was trying to explain this idea the three of us got off track really quickly and didn't get to the heart of what i meant so i'm going to interject here the idea that your marriage has its own identity hit me when i was examining the patterns of my own marriage and realizing that seth and i function in a particular way that we have established over the years and in that pattern there are distinct aspects of our relationship that we unknowingly look to to make sure that things are okay and if those aspects were to change we would feel lost for example seth likes to be silly like a lot And if he changed that all of a sudden and wanted to be serious all of the time, not only would his identity change, but an enormous part of the identity of our entire marriage would also shift right along with it. And just like when I was talking about realizing that I was trying to have the identity of my mother and how that was weird and unsettling, that's what happens when the identity of marriage shifts. And this happens a lot more than we might think. Imagine someone getting Alzheimer's or having a traumatic brain injury that changes the way that person behaves that tends to also change the way that their relationships function, and this changes the identity within the relationship. 
And unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to weather that storm. And honestly, I am just realizing this, that when Seth confessed to me about lying and pornography and all of that stuff, it was an instantaneous shift in the identity of our marriage. And it was an insane storm that we had to walk through if we wanted to make it through together. I talked to Dr. Dan Siegel about some of these ideas, and he shared some really great insight with me. He and I went through a time when we were, had been married for about five years that was really, um, really hard. And, and I wanted to divorce him, and I thought that's what I was going to do. And sort of a light bulb went off in my head, and I said, you know what? I don't want to. We had kids already at the time, and I was like, I don't want to do that to my children. And he and I both decided we're just going to like bear down as hard as we can on this and see if we can make it work. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I'm sure that sometimes that fails and it doesn't succeed, but in our case, it succeeded. And our determination mm-hmm. to make our marriage work has made it so much better now than it was back then. It was that determination to stick together. It required us to look at ourselves and look at one another with new eyes and our relationship has, it's hard to explain, but the connection that we have now is so much greater than the connection we had before. Can I ask you a question about yeah. that? Do you sense in how you define yourself um, now versus before the troubled times when you thought about getting divorcing is different? And if so, how would you describe the difference? It's very different. Before, I think I was exactly what you were saying. I had a fixed mindset. I, I knew I could only take so much. I knew it, like it was the truth somehow. But when I was put into the situation where I had to stretch my boundaries, and I, I realized if I don't stretch my boundaries, the result will just be divorce. Then I stretched my boundaries, and it really has, it is night and day transformation in myself of I can do different things than I thought I could do. There you go. Well, that's, so you really feel like you're allowing yourself to enter this growth mindset. You know, what's amazing about the growth mindset is doesn't it, does the amount of energy you feel in your experience differ now? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, my husband's a therapist, so I would sort of get secondhand therapy knowledge from him, and we would talk about these different concepts. And the more I stretched my boundaries because for the longest time I thought I'm an artist I'm a singer that's what I do I was in orchestra I'm a I'm a musician and so I was never considering myself to be smart I was just like oh I'm artsy right these are different different categories and mm-hmm. once I uh, let myself step into a space of like no I can understand bigger concepts than I thought and I can and I can, and we can talk about these therapeutic things intelligibly and it's um I don't know, stepping into that space and not diminishing my own worth has really brought um, a huge personal change. I mean, I genuinely feel like I'm not the same person I was. And a lot of it is due to that that conflict, which caused me to have to grow. But it was, again, it was a choice. I could could have chose to not grow. Mm -hmm. Um, From those conflicts that we can learn to adapt to and learn from, we get stronger. I mean, some people have conflicts and they feel helpless in it. It crushes them. So, you know, it is really all about how you approach what life gives you. I feel like Dr. Dan Siegel wrapped that up so beautifully. And for some reason, it reminded me of this little nugget from my interview with Mike McCarg, aka Science Mike, back in episode number five, The Science of Love. I think you're going to understand why I feel like this fits into this episode. Uh, Just take a listen. Whatever. Um, Because 
I I feel like I'm such a different personality from you. I always set myself apart from people who are like really smart because I'm I'm not a book type lady. I'm feelings all the way in music and art. And so I think it's really fascinating to sort of pick your brain about what you think, like what what would you want to hear about marriage? Let's say you were just going to get married and you're, you know, you're engaged and finally, yay. What did you wish someone had told you? And what is bad advice? <laughs> Ooh, those are really good. Um, first of all, as a society, we overemphasize the importance of um, verbal acuity and technical intelligence with intelligence in general. Um, and science would cleanly reveal that a tremendous intelligence and, frankly, brain capacity is required for creative work, mm -hmm. and that it is actually a more integrative way of thinking than uh, really rational thinking. Um, so as a uh, born male feminist, I would just say, I am not smarter than you. <laughs> and you have been conditioned by a culture to say that, and I just hope you don't believe it. Um, oh, thank you. So <laughs> sorry. I'm learning to not believe it, which yeah. is a very exciting journey. Yes. But. I can't. Uh, call me in two years. I, I want to hear about that. I hope you understand why I put that clip in there, and I feel like it's the perfect way to bring this all back around to the very beginning. I mean, identity is so much more than our religion, the things we're into, the color of our skin, or even our gender. Identity is like a spaghetti junction. You know, in big cities where the highways all cross over each other, and it's like a big crazy mess? Identity can make us feel things that aren't true. It can cause us to act in ways that we don't even believe in. Identity can chain us to the ground, but it can also set us free. But not if we don't think about it and examine it just a little bit. Because it is hidden and sensitive and confusing and convoluted. But hey, let's all have a growth mindset about identity, shall we? And we're back. Tell me what you thought of this episode. Well, you said it was really good and you got excited to listen to it again. So why? I did. Well, hashtag Dr. Dan Siegel, hashtag nerd dream, nerd crush. Okay. Uh, that's it, minus your why. crush. Why were you excited to listen to it? <laughs> because of my crush. Um, there was so many things in this episode as I listened back that stood out to me as being, I, like I said to you, I think yesterday, it was like almost as if I had never heard it, mm. even though I had spent hours and hours editing this episode in the past and right. more than one time right mm -hmm. um but one of the things like leslie parrott says almost i think in the very beginning <clears throat> that people need to be accurately assessing who you are mm -hmm. and i remember hearing that when she said it in the session like in our recording session and thinking like nobody can accurately assess who they are it's like right. impossible yeah and that's one thing that just really stood out to me like she says it in the very beginning and it kind of jumped off jumped out of the page mm -hmm. if you will the like in a page. in a negative way you're like oh holy crap that's good not in a negative way but like oh bless you <laughs> bless you excuse me not in a negative way it just stood out as being like that is such a simple sentence mm -hmm. that has such a complex meaning to it accurately right. assessing who you are because who we are is shaped by so many things. And that goes right into what Dan Siegel said, mm -hmm. which I'll actually quote. He said, our relationships are profoundly a part of how we emerge. We don't just emerge from our brains. We emerge also from our connections with other people. Yes. So not only are like our identities shaped by just 
who we are, where we live, what we do, but they're shaped by like how well we were connected and bonded with our parents. Right. Or not connected and bonded. Your attachment issues or non-attachment issues, your styles. This goes from everything to, to physically to biologically. And identity is formed. Sure. Yeah. Like I, I'm big on nature versus nurture. And there is, we all have a nature, which is, you know, kind of a biological I'm thing. I'm a redhead. <laughs> yeah. Like your, your genetic makeup, right? Mm-hmm. Things that you're born with, you don't choose. And that really influences kind of who you are, introvert, extrovert, mm-hmm. whatever. But your identity is formed by, of course, your family of origin, culture, music, everything, church, school, profession, kids, no kids. Mm-hmm. It is formed mm-hmm. and it is fluid, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not, oh, great, this is my identity. Now I'm this, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's really dangerous and that that kind of falls back into having like a, um, a, a fixed, or a growth fixed mindset, mindset mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I can't do that. Well, that's dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. if you're the same person you were one year ago in your marriage, then you need to change something. Yeah. You weren't perfect a year ago mm-hmm. and you're not perfect now. Right. And we can either have a growth mindset and improve and move forward and kick butt or we cannot. And that, in my opinion, not even an opinion. That's not good. We all have different potential that we can always be better. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things that he said. Dr. Dan talked about um, having a noun-like view of yourself, like I'm a, a rock, like I'm a noun, it's fixed, it's right. like stationary, it never changes, it's just always one thing. It's, but that's not true. Yeah, but he's saying it's not good or healthy or I anything. See. And what really cracked me up is that he said in this, he's like, yeah, when you're, yeah, you're 32 now and you're so different. And I was mm. like, I was 32 when I made this episode. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like I'm almost 37 crazy that's so weird to me i'm like that's so wild i loved it (laughs) nice and he said my name (laughs) yes he did (laughs) what i think that last five seconds was kind of boring about your age and stuff no no okay but thanks i'll leave that last part in there Uh, i won't edit it out Leave that giant sniff in there too yeah too okay um Um, yeah another thing he says is the mind emerges from the mind emerges from our exterior experiences and our relationships. Yeah. I thought that was okay. So um, yeah, cool. I wrote the th- same thing down. Emergence, mm-hmm. right? Constant growth. So I wrote down. So this idea means that we are literally adjusting and emerging all the time, mm-hmm. right? So that goes back to that growth mindset. You are a different human being from when you had our first kid mm-hmm. to when you had our last daughter, mm-hmm. right? You have changed so much in a good way. Like we all have changed, right? So it's always emerging and sometimes when we come up against family of origin stuff like when we're emerging that's when we can get some pushback from our family oh yeah members our friends or whoever or spouse who maybe aren't emerging maybe aren't going at a growth mindset at the mm-hmm. rate we are and that's where um oh, what's his name uh, murray bowen who um family systems Bowen yeah, family well, systems. well, Bowen Family Therapy talks about that's when you get pushback when you're trying to be differentiated, you know, mm-hmm. but a differentiated person is going to see that mm-hmm. and go, okay, I see this resistance mm-hmm. as, you know, I still have to get through it. Um, and uh, they just move forward with mm-hmm. that. That's not going to stop them. Right? Well, and what's interesting is that you think about uh, what's a good example of like 
maybe an inchworm, <laughs> like how they've got legs on the front and then legs on the back. Oh, right. <laughs> and your differentiated self are your front legs and your family systems are your back legs. Your family systems are trying to keep you to catch stuck up. in yeah. the, like the worm nest. What is it? A worm? The worm? Yeah, I a think it's called nest. a worm nest. <laughs> what is it called? A cocoon. A cocoon. <laughs> a worm nest. Like a nest of worms, like a pile of worms. It's not a beehive. It's not a wasp. What are they? It's not, not a wasp nest. A wasp nest, as your grandma would say. Yeah. But uh, what I think of is it's like to move, to differentiate yourself from your family system, it is like an inching forward process mm-hmm. where your family is going to want to keep you in a sort of a state that they liked you in or find you the easiest to deal with. We a perfect, do what we know. Yeah. And a, well, a perfect example of that too is parent-child relationship, obviously. And I think of our own children. As Mariner becomes a teenager, I'm like, no thanks. Mm-hmm. Stay nine, would mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. But he's already 12. And I'm like, I, I really would prefer it if you didn't want to talk about girls or Fortnite. Right. Let's just right. talk about trains or something or and something easy stuff. and like yeah. blow bubbles. I don't care. So there's this thing in, in psychology with like overbearing mothers. And mm-hmm. this was research done back in the, I think, like literally 50s or 60s. And there's this thing called the uh, schizophrenic mother. Mm-hmm. Have Remember, you heard of that? I've Have I talked about, talked about it before? And there was a theory of like, oh, schizophrenia is talk is is produced by a really overbearing mom who like mm-hmm. doesn't let their son grow, you know. Mm-hmm. And I actually have clients like that, you know, mm-hmm. who the the moms are grandmas now, but their sons are still living at home, mm-hmm. and because they want them to stay that way. They, There's that homeostatic that, like. Yeah. If I always make you your peed B and J, I am always wanted. Peed B and J. I have my mouth messed up. <laughs> if I always make you your PB and J, I am always wanted. I'm always needed. And if it stays the same, that's good. I found a place I right. like it. Let's keep it that way. Yeah. But that is not healthy um, for anyone involved. It's, a, it's one of the most extreme forms of selfishness. Mm-hmm. Like, I am not going to let you out of the cage and Mm -hmm. fly as you were created to do because I need you here. Yeah. And so what's hard about that is that we, we, when you push against that identity Mm -hmm. and what I was saying, like the inchworm example is it feels like someone is pulling you backwards Mm -hmm. while you're trying to move forward. Mm -hmm. But the, the kind of the hope that I would say is there within that is you don't want to think of it like a bull busting out of a fence. Like I'm free. I'm out. I'm gone. Which Mm -hmm. a lot of people think of it that way. And they try to just like, break down all the barriers they they you know shouting cuss words at their family they tell them what they do that's wrong all the right everybody mm-hmm. kind of has not everybody but people have those moments of like yeah that's what you think do you want to know a really right? funny story you know this but our listeners don't but i was probably maybe 22 or something oh, yeah. <laughs> and i got in like a big argument with my dad right <laughs> And like we were, it was not healthy, but we were like yelling at each other and I was so freaking pissed. And I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and I walked out of the house, went just stormed to my car. And, you know, I was probably going to like spin the tires or something. But I was like, look down. I was like, I don't have my keys. <laughs> so I had to walk back in like the walk of shame kind of thing. <laughs> get my dad. keys and then walk back out. I was like, oh, that blew it. It was yeah. so unsatisfying. That is funny. Yeah, it was but, really funny. Yeah, that's the thing that I think of in this episode in particular is that when people try to break free of their identity, there's so much internal stress and anxiety or failure or shame or whatever it is or this desire to change that it feels all pent up and 
confused mm-hmm. and confusing mm-hmm. that they tend to like lash out the, at the people around them and maybe blame them or judge them or say, well, if you had done this, then I would be fine, right? right. Kind of like Nicole talks about if I could have just, <clears throat> excuse me, like if I could have just partied, mm-hmm. if I could have just had that college life, but all my friends were goody two shoes and mm-hmm. I never got that. So oh. she has that like this feeling of dissatisfaction and then she puts it on something else. Maybe she puts it on Charlie. Well, I don't want to get married because I didn't right. have this. When really it's like just inchworm your way out of it. Right. You'll, so you'll here, be fine. So here is what I kind of, well, not kind of, but what I concluded, mm-hmm. like re-listening back to Nicole. And a lot of people do this. Like they blame their partners for something that they don't get to do. Like I remember you got mad at me when we, we first got married and I quit the band. You were betting on me going touring and you wanted to go to school in ireland right Mm -hmm. and you're like oh i didn't get to go because of this well no that really wasn't my fault right Uh kind of thing but if if we look at if if we look at identity as what we didn't get to do like nicole was doing then it doesn't really help us get there right Mm -hmm. it's it's not helpful for me to go oh man you know i want uh, a filet mignon steak that's what I want, right? That's what I thought what I would have. But, but I'm just I got telling, a big Montana from Arby's. Right, but I'm just telling you what I didn't get to eat, you know? Uh-huh. I'm not telling you that I, I want yeah. this. It's like, well, I didn't want to eat french fries. I mm-hmm. didn't want to eat a baked potato. Well, what do you want? Well, I don't know. I just, I'm just telling you what I didn't want. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just not, that's not helpful. That's not your fault, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you knew exactly what I wanted and it was reasonable, you would probably do what you could, could mm-hmm. to get that for me mm-hmm. right so that that i think that's a it's like choosing what you like by ruling out and saying no to everything mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. that's, that's, which is what our children do every morning <laughs> what do you want to eat for breakfast cereal no oh, want yeah. fresh toast no yeah or let's do something fun okay you want to go to the park you want to go skateboarding you no. want to ride the dirt bike no no uh, that's uh, not fun yeah no it's so uh, <laughs> yeah there, there needs to be some growth around that i think for for everyone so mm-hmm. so what about you i have some some tips and some takeaways on uh, identity formation and what's been helpful for me as a man mm-hmm. that probably other men and husbands and singles would resonate with. But what about you as a as a female, as a woman? Well, one of the things I say in the episode itself was that I was sort of living from my mother's identity. Mm-hmm. And that was such a strong... Because just in my family, and I know it's different in other families, but my mom was such a strong identity in our home and she was the one who was with us all the time mm-hmm. that I was like, oh yeah, I like what she likes and I don't like what she doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of had s- almost like parked my mind in that space of like, yeah, I'm just like my mom. I'm so much like my mom. When in reality, I'm really, really different. I'm alike right. in many ways, but there's so many things that I we just could not be more different in. Mm-hmm. Uh, travel is one, you know, trying new mm-hmm. foods is one. Basically like anything that is out of the comfort zone. I love to try anything i mm-hmm. I want to try pretty much everything well developmentally as you know a, a four five six and even 12 and maybe 15 year old developmentally you want to pair bond with your caregivers mm-hmm. because you they give you care right and it's safe so yeah. it's safe so you want relationship with that person because you have an attachment there mm-hmm. so if they don't like something or they do like something Oh, it's safe. To, it's safe if I like this. Yeah. Well, it's right? like when Tuff would watch you watch football, and he'd say, "Who do you want to win, Dad?" No, that was me with but my I know, dad. But, dad. but Tuff did it with you too. Yeah. 
Remember? Yeah. And it's but, us, but then he would say he would. <laughs> he would say it was the opposite. opposite. <laughs> like, like I remember me and my dad would watch the NFL on Monday night, um, and you know I was just a I don't know eight year old, and I uh, would ask him before he asked me, "Oh, who do you want to win?" You know, it was always Miami Dolphins because he was from Miami. Mm-hmm. And I would say, oh, yeah, I want the Dolphins too. But, of course, I have no preference yeah. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But it's that idea. Like, you you say those things to be on your caregiver's good side. To build connection right, and safety. Right, to, to build connection. And mm-hmm. then, of course, developmentally, when you hit your adolescent years, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I can think for myself. Mm-hmm. Well, and I didn't have that, really, as much as you would think. You didn't think for yourself? No. When I was an adolescent, I never went through the phase of disliking my mom or my dad. Like ever, they would come to my middle school and high school, and I'd be like, "Yes, mom is here," and I'd like run through the like. I would. It was always this funny thing mm-hmm. that I always have loved my parents mm-hmm. ever since you know all through middle school. All then never retaliated or rebelled or was really mean. To, I mean, I'm sure I did crappy things, but right. I wasn't that sort of like I'm differentiating myself from you idiots. Mm-hmm. I just was happy. You never like pushed the boundaries of. <clears throat> Not in that way. Hmm. So that's so that's another weird thing is that I think as a woman I sort of and I think lots of women do this where you go well I'm learning everything from my mom I should probably be like her mm-hmm. so when I get married and when I have a husband and when I have a home I should do it like she does it right and if I'm not doing it like she does it then something's wrong mm-hmm. and that that I think is important when we can kind of address that and be like actually no we might not be as much like our moms as we think we are Mm -hmm. and sometimes it is dads i know that there are some girls that are like that with their fathers Mm -hmm. so yeah and so so for for me as a guy like i said growing up growing up in the bible belt everyone always said oh your identity is in god right Mm -hmm. and i to this day have never resonated with that. I don't know what that means, but I pretended I did because I felt guilty for not knowing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have no, I have zero idea what this means. And recently I just read a book. And if you are a person that read books <laughs> or if you're a person that listens to audiobooks, I have something for you. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash anatomy of marriage to get your free freaking audiobook, people. It's free. <laughs> And I am on my third reading of a wonderful book. You've probably heard of it. It's called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And you can get it at audibletrial.com forward slash anatomy and marriage. It's freaking free. And I have read it two and a half times in like the span of four weeks because it was so freaking amazing. And Melanie read it too. I read it first. Yeah. You're awesome. You're great. (laughs) <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> wow, sarcasm right there. That's right. But go, go and get that book. It's it's free. And so one, hold on. Yeah. Pause the podcast right now and go to audibletrial.com forward slash anatomy of marriage and get wild at heart for free with an audiobook. As an audiobook, I mean. But seriously, yeah. Pizna's the shizno. <laughs> Pause the show. Oh boy. And get the book because it is it really is good. And I read, like I said, I read it first because mm-hmm. we were at a dinner and Luke Lefevre was telling us, you should right. really read this book. And then a wife at the table was like, yes, read it. As a mm-hmm. woman, read it to understand your spouse. And I would say also, if you have sons, for the love of Pete, read the book. Read the book, right? So that book, like, you know, and I'm old now, but I read it and finally understood what mm-hmm. identity formation for me was like mm-hmm. and I, i'm a man i am very masculine i do he hunts things i like adventure and risk taking and also can be super soft and tender with melanie and my daughter and you know and my boys too but 
it helped me to look back, okay, throughout the last 20 years, what have I been attracted to work-wise, mm-hmm. service-wise, job-wise? And I looked back, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, what is my identity? What is my identity? I have to make this up. I, I was like, no. Think about that phrase, actions speak louder than words. So mm-hmm. I literally went back and assessed the last 20 years of jobs that I've worked, you mm-hmm. know, not just like weird crappy jobs or whatever, but like meaningful jobs that I've done. And it has always been something around the helping field, uh-huh. right? So my identity is that of a person who helps people and builds things. Mm-hmm. It could be building tables, it could be building programs, it could be building a roof on a house or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's helping and building, and that is what I do. And finding finding that out, I guess, was so like, it was the Rosetta Stone of like, all right, this makes so much sense to me. I mean, let there's less anxiety, anything. It's like, wherever I go, I'm going to help and build things. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And that can be fluid, of course, mm-hmm. but just going back in that book was so freaking amazing. So if, if you're a guy or a woman and you're struggling with some sort of identity formation, just look back in the literal last 20 years. What have you been drawn to mm-hmm. over and over? Not like, oh, yeah, well, I like red cars, you know, or, or <laughs> who knows what, you know. Okay, well. Bud Light and red cars. Or, yeah, or maybe you like working on cars or working on other people's cars. Oh, you're helping. Mm-hmm. You're teaching. You are being a, a servant in some way or, or whatever. Then, like, begin to, like, deduce. <laughs> oh, God. Why is that so funny? Because that just sounded stupid. Deduce <laughs> or, like, deductive reasoning, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that just sounded weird. <laughs> whatever. Uh, and begin to look at it that way, and that will help you come to some sort of conclusion or at least inch towards what is this identity? Inchworm. We're back to the An same. inchworm. Oh, my the goodness. The inchworm metaphor. With the worm nest. <laughs> right. And then, okay, so I have to also, like, put in this little caveat. Like, I gave bad advice three years ago. Yes, with the identity, kill your identity. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad you're calling it out and not me because it was, was terrible. That was bad advice. You I, like how I brushed it off in the episode? I'm like, uh, I'm not buying that. And I just like... brush it off. You were like, you called it out. But yeah, you okay, you don't have to lose your identity. But I think what I was saying there is like, okay, you can't just be like, well, I'm doing me. By Felicia. You know what I'm saying? You, <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. So I that if I think about it now, that's what I was like trying to yes. say. I'm not saying like, oh yeah, and two become one and you're nothing now and you're just like with your <laughs> spouse. Your identity. Right. Yeah, no, that's what I said. I can be dramatic, obviously. But it's more of a set aside part of your ego yeah. that is going to get in in the way to f- help form a new marriage identity. Yeah. Well, right? here's the way that I would, ha- I've been thinking about that exact thing. And I was trying to think of what was he trying to say? Right. right. Cause I got what you were trying to say, but it didn't come out correctly. And then I made fun of you, which was great. But um, the, the thing that kind Nothing of comes there. to mind when I think of that is <clears throat> kind of what Dan Siegel talks about or what he talked about is that we're not this fixed version of ourselves we are constantly evolving and emerging and changing and it's um it's fluid it's what's a better word i hate the word fluid it's emergent um dynamic dynamic that's a better way so we're dynamic people and when we're 
toddlers we're in the phase of being toddlers and that's our identity we can barely walk we can, we're talking and blah, blah blah when we're tweens we're in that phase and that's mm-hmm. our identity at that time and all those are very dynamic and they're and they're appropriate for the time right, right. and then as we become young adults and then when we're dating that has its own identity within it and when we get married we have roles to fill within that identity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the best way I can think of it is when I got married, I became the married version of Melanie. Right. Not just Melanie. I am married now. Mm-hmm. So I do things differently. I don't like flirt with men. I don't get on dating apps. I don't do any of those things because phones didn't exist when we were dating. I'm just kidding. Oh, good. So phones exist. <laughs> that's why. <clears throat> that's the only reason. Um, but what I'm saying is like the the different versions of you should be honored. When you become a parent, that is a part of your identity mm. that should be watered, nourished, fed, uh, like leaned into in those phases. When you're a parent of toddlers, that's a whole different kettle of fish than when you're a parent of teens, tweens, young adults, adults, right? Hashtag facts. That's right. And so I think when when you were saying like, yeah, your individual identity should die, mm-hmm. I think what you were thinking of was that noun Right. Kind so of thing. I am guilty of really preaching what I don't practice mostly. You mean not practicing what you preach? No, I said it. <laughs> preaching what I don't practice. Yeah, just reverse That's it. That's hilarious. Keep on. That right? was really funny. Yeah. And I think that I'm getting better but it's like one of those posts that you did, like, we practice what we preach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes we do, right? But in the early days, I was like just learning everything and being like, oh, do this. I'm like, mm-hmm. I have no idea what I'm doing mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? And um, that can, yeah, I, 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 was, I was saying that stuff, but still being selfish and still being like, well, mm-hmm. I'm going to do me mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, because that is a, a remnant of my family of origin, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, when you have a kid, it's not just you. Yeah. You know, when you get married, it's not just you. Mm-hmm. It's like in, in any other relationship that we get education about, but not marriage because things are goofy. If you go into a business partnership, you know, you and John go, hey, let's pool our money together mm-hmm. and buy some stocks or buy a business or buy a mm-hmm. lawnmower and start a lawn service company. Uh-huh. You know, that's not 100% your lawnmower. It's yours and John's. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And when you get married to another human, it's not your marriage. It's our marriage, Mm -hmm. right? So that is exactly what I was trying to say then. But again, I haven't like fully lived it, Mm -hmm. but am understanding it, you know. Uh, And even having the podcast, this just is our podcast. I can't give some willy-nilly goofy advice Mm -hmm. because I just feel like it other people listen to it mm-hmm. right and it can affect other people and i listen to stuff that way too yeah yeah the one analogy that came to my mind as you were saying that is if we looked at this instead of like lives and people's identities being these like really crazy big hard to understand things what if we thought of it just as like a like a manufacturing plant like a plant like bmw a mm. plant making cars right mm-hmm. we, if you are the person that makes the axle right? You're the axle maker and that is your identity. And you do things in that particular part of that particular car Mm -hmm. and you do the same thing over and over because that's your job. If you're the person who makes like the lug nuts for the wheels or whatever, I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's your job. That's all you do. You don't go over to the axle guy and Mm -hmm. faff with his stuff. You stay over where you're supposed to be because that's your identity. That's your identifier thing that you do is Mm -hmm. the lug nuts, right? And so 
The hard thing about that is in our lives, we can only see what we know. We can only see what we've seen. Mm-hmm. We can only know what we've known. And we go, oh, well, I, I'm a victim of you know abuse or I'm this or I'm that. So you identify yourself as being, well, I'm the Axel person. I don't know how to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you can't imagine a future differently, right? You wrote that quote the other day. It's easier to remember your past than to imagine your future. Right. Right. So what's hard about that with identity is that we don't look at our own identity and our own sense of identity with enough sort of freedom mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Like we look at it very rigidly. Well, I'm the youngest of five mm-hmm. or I'm had a, you know, abuse in my home. So mm-hmm. therefore I can never do X, Y, and Z. I think that's why one of my favorite practices is taking time usually in the morning to visualize yeah, things right like you know we talk about how elrod the miracle morning uh-huh. like one of the step one of the the six steps is visualization mm-hmm. what do i envision myself doing today and that's goes way beyond like i'm gonna go to the bakery and eat a scone i see myself eating a table you know eating a table <laughs> <laughs> eating a scone at the table it's <laughs> What kind of person do I want to be? I see myself doing things that are on my checklist. You know, I see mm-hmm. myself at the end of the day driving up the driveway and kissing my wife mm-hmm. and hugging my kids in a good way. Even if I had the worst day ever mm-hmm. outside of the house, this is how I visualize myself. So if you can do that with your identity, then... Man, and, you and, can change your life. Oh my gosh. We've done that. Are you kidding? No. Good. Are you? Because this isn't a comedy show. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it's so, it's so huge. And like, I know I'm going to go into another segue. If this is really hard stuff, you know, we mm-hmm. all, we have trauma, we have a past and like Sigmund Freud says, um, unresolved issues, keyword unresolved issues always come up. They never die. They never go away and they come up in uglier ways, the zombies right? Of our lives. Unresolved things. Mm-hmm. So if you have unresolved things and there's not a counselor close to you, Go to getfaithful.com forward slash anatomy of marriage to hook up with a counselor. That's right. A legit counselor, a private HIPAA compliant Zoom call, right? Mm-hmm. Over over the internet, over the interwebs, you talk to a real licensed counselor just like me and you get help, mm-hmm. right? And it's literally 24-7. You can get help that way and it's way cheaper than... What I used to charge, 150 plus an hour, or actually 50 minutes, right? So getfaithful.com forward slash anatomy of marriage to hook up with a real licensed counselor online mm-hmm. and get the help. Yeah. Because this stuff is hard. We didn't do it without a counselor, did yeah. we? No, no. No. We didn't. We saw many counselors. And we had to drive to the thing and we do had to this get a babysitter. It was like the worst because you had, it was like it stole your date night. Yeah. It was terrible. It did. I mean, we really didn't want to date each other when we were going through all that stuff mm-hmm. anyway. But yeah, go get counseling on your lunch hour. You can. Go sit in your car mm-hmm. on your phone because that's how it works. Getfaithful.com forward slash anatomy of marriage to hook up yes. with a licensed counselor. Check it out. We're very, very excited about it. And another thing we're excited about too is the workbook that goes along with season one, these yes. episodes. Um, again, this is the identity episode and the identity chapter in the workbook. And I absolutely love, I love the workbook so much. So here's just an example of some of the questions. It says, what aspects of your identity from your past are false, but you still hold on to? Mm. Did someone tell you as a kid that you can't sing well? Was your dream, is your dream, or 
Did they tell you that your dream job is stupid, that you're ugly, you will never amount to anything? Take a minute to write down some long-held and totally incorrect identity thoughts that mm-hmm. you still have. Mm-hmm. That's just question number one, y'all. Wow. Um, <clears throat> Deep stuff. Yeah. Number three is take a minute to see if you can find any identifiers in your life that are not really yours, but might be your parents or your friends or even your teachers. Mm. Reevaluate things that you identify with that maybe clash with a deeper part of your soul. If you can find any, go ahead and write them down now. Right. And there's just a ton of questions. Um, That's a good one because we all have a lot of false narratives, false identities that we carry around mm-hmm. that we don't take the time to work on. Mm-hmm. But if we do, we're like, holy crap, I've I've thought that way for 10 years? Yeah. What? Well, that's what I think of with the Science Mike insert that I put in this episode where he like he's like, look, you're not less intelligent than me right he's like what you do takes a lot of brain power the art like this artistic whatever mm-hmm. thing and so that's why i put it in there because i had this idea of like, well i'm really dumb mm-hmm. i'm dumb seth is smart i'm dumb i'm barely well, hanging that's in still there true but <laughs> i think it's maybe changed a tiny bit you're out of here um <laughs> but yeah so please go get the workbook like we said in past episodes we have made a workbook that goes along with every single episode of the season one mm-hmm. podcast episodes. And you can go to anatomyofmarriage.com and click the orange workbook button to get it. And it is only 25 bucks. It's cheaper than a month's worth of lattes, if you know what I'm saying. And it is very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. But we hope you enjoyed this identity episode. I certainly love the heck out of it. Yeah, me too. As as a man, as a husband, as a dad, just as a person, it's been really super helpful for me. And honestly, something that I've struggled with for a while, but I don't feel that I do anymore. It's like a, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm over. It's a non-issue, mm-hmm. but it is. I have made some super big breakthroughs in mm-hmm. that. And it's not like it was ruining everything or my life or anything. It's, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like that that thing that's like, oh, I feel like more on solid ground now. Oh, yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. One other book recommendation I will say, I know I, we did this in the beginning, but I literally just finished today, mm. Extreme Ownership Yep. by Jocko Willink <laughs> <laughs> nice. and Leif Babin. Yep. Uh, and it is such a good book. So you can also get that at audibletrial.com forward slash anatomy of marriage for free mm-hmm. if you haven't got your audiobook. It's really good. And the reason I'm saying that is that book for me was kind of like an identity kick in the butt Yep. Uh, because it makes you own your crap. All your crap. Like 100%. Like, oh, you didn't do that? Well, here's why. And it, it really is a, a really, really, really good read uh, apart from... Joko Willink. No, I guess it's Leif Babin. <laughs> drives me crazy. It's like Batman on Lego movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for hanging out. We will be back next week with um, At My Lowest Point, Ooh. episode 10, and it gets real deep, real quick, real Powerful. heavy. Powerful. All right, anyway. guys. We love you. Thank you very much. Hope this is helpful. Bye. Bye.